Hi, I'm Dan Markey of Johns Hopkins uh, University School of Advanced International Studies, and I'm here today with Ashley Tellis of the Carnegie Endowment of International Peace. And we're talking about the recent crisis between India and China that produced the worst violence in 45 years. Now, Ashley, uh, you've written a great article on this topic for Carnegie, so I've been, I've been looking forward to, to picking your brain on this. And in particular, I wanted to start with the basic question. There's been a lot of speculation about the cause of this most recent uh, crisis. So in your estimation, what's the best explanation for, for what happened here? Uh, Dan, first, thanks for having me. I think the best explanation for what provoked the crisis has been China's determination to physically control territories that it has long claimed, but has not been present in. Uh, I think it saw these territories at risk because of India's uh, decisions with respect to Jammu and Kashmir and the continued Indian military modernization. Uh, and so it decided to assertively uh, occupy them uh, almost unprovoked. So what do you what do you then just on that point, what do you make of the argument that, uh, yes, China's at fault for this particular crisis, uh, but it was, in a sense, provoked by these broader Indian activities along the border. I'm not sure I buy that because, first, it's a misreading of the Indian activities to begin with. Whatever happened in Jammu and Kashmir was not intended to have any impact on the disputes that uh, India has with China. And so for the Chinese to assume that this somehow affected their claims, I think is really untenable. And I know that uh, the Indian foreign minister, uh, Dr. Jai Shankar, actually reassured the Chinese in Beijing uh, when he last visited and exactly the score. Yeah. So, so now that this has happened, though, in, in this recent piece you've done for Carnegie, uh, you said that India only has, quote, painful choices in response to, to Chinese tactics. Um, it seems like maybe we're into a realm of greater diplomacy at the moment. But if you had to sit back and say, you know, here are India's options, here's what I'd recommend, uh, what would be at the top of your list? Well, what would be at the top of my list is that the Indian military change its posture and mm -hmm. move uh, much closer to the front lines and deploy than it does today. Uh, so so the, denying, denying China that option of salami slicing, yeah. slicing, so to speak? That's right. That's the only thing that prevents the Chinese from doing what they did, which is you have to be physically present and ready to parry any movement on the Chinese side right at the moment that you detect that it is happening. Yeah, and how do you assess India's capacity for that? Oh, India has the capacity for that. I mean, people mm -hmm. don't appreciate it, but the Indians actually have operational superiority uh, along the Sino-Indian border. So it's right. so, so what has kept India from, from doing that before? A reticence to, to engage or, or something else? No, I think it's partly the, uh, it's partly the environment. It's a very hostile uh, border on which to deploy forces, uh, you know, mm -hmm. for large parts of the earth. But more importantly, I think the Indians believed that their agreements with China over the years allowed them the liberty of delinking their border dispute from the broader relationship that yeah. it would somehow sequester the border disagreement and this yeah, these events in the last few weeks have proved that assumption to be to be untrue
So where do you think, you know, in that and exactly that point in terms of the broader relationship, uh, there have been some talk about uh, economic consequences and clearly diplomatic consequences. Is this for real or do you think India will try to keep this order or put it back into a box? No, I think India cannot do that anymore, even if it tried. I think we are looking at a very frayed relationship with some hard Indian decisions coming both in the area of bilateral economic intercourse, as well as India's larger balancing of China in partnership with others in the Indo-Pacific space. Do you say that for strategic reasons or for political reasons or a combination of the two? I think it is a combination of the two. Because mm-hmm. uh, the Indian uh, public and its pressure on the Modi government uh, drives them to take some of these steps? That in part, but also because I think, you know, this is a good reminder for the prime minister himself. You know, his own instincts were uh, suspicious of China to begin with. And mm-hmm. this just gives him additional reason for not banking on the Chinese, you know, displaying any respect for Indian sensitivities. Yeah. Uh, switching gears radically since since you've spent some time in, in the U.S. government, if you were sitting there right now, uh, is there anything Washington can or should do? Well, at the moment, we have taken a low-key approach uh, at India's request. I think it is sensible for us to do that at the moment. But over the longer term, we have to work with India very closely on helping it meet its modernization requirements. And we have to be very publicly uh, in support of India at the appropriate time. India should- well, thank you, actually. Yeah, I got to cut you off there. We're almost out of time, but this has been a great conversation. Good first opportunity on Conversation 6. Uh, thanks for your perspectives. Pleasure. Thank you.